0: The foyer there uh, today is the day that they're due, but fear not if you did not uh, if you forgot it at home you can bring it here anytime during the day if you want to just put it on the front porch that's fine we'll bring it on in and also today here at the church at 1:30 1:30 to 3:30 p.m. we have a program it's called Surviving the Holidays it's a grief share program so if you're struggling right now with loss of a loved one or over the last couple of years uh, any kind of loss like that uh, this is a program it's some teach- some encouragement fellowship uh, with other people that are uh, walking through that as well Uh, we have a grief share program here that runs every Monday night and uh, this is kind of like a little add-on so if you would like to come you're more than welcome to come there's going to be some refreshments and it's free as well so I'm going to pray and then we'll get right into the message this morning Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful that we can come here and lift your name in praises. Lord, we're thankful this week as we approach Thanksgiving and uh, many will be around family and friends. I pray, Lord, that you would just give us the uh, the, the courage to be bold with your word, the compassion to be kind and loving towards uh, family and friends, and just uh, minimize the stress in our lives, uh, whether you, uh, people here are hosting or or going to families, members' houses, I just pray, Lord, that you would just give them an extra blessing of just calmness and peace as we enter into this holiday season this year. I pray this morning now as we spend time in your word that's helpful for us so that we could uh, glorify you with our lives each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So two weeks ago, if you remember, we left off with Stephen being brought to the council with the accusation that he was speaking blasphemous words against Moses and the law, which threatened the temple and the Jewish traditions. And remember, he was brought there and then all of a sudden, right, all of a sudden, they all looked at Stephen and it said, the scripture said, his face was like an angel. So basically the look of innocence, like Stephen was being brought before the council to be accused of these things and when they looked at him, he looked innocent. So here's the thing. Today we pick up with Stephen giving a defense of himself and why he and the way he does that is he reminds them of four major periods of Israel's history with five major characters to prove this that the presence of God is not limited to the temple, and that God is a living God that directs his people no matter where they are. They, in fact, were the guilty ones because in effort to protect the temple and the law, they actually rejected God. Because here's what was going on. Here's what was going on. The accusation was that Stephen was preaching about Jesus, and that threatened the temple and the law. And this is the temple was where God lived. So now Stephen's saying, well, here's the thing. You guys don't have a proper understanding of God. He does not live in a temple made by hands. So here's what happens. In chapter 7... We have 50 verses of Stephen recounting God working through various people in various different places to prove their focus on the temple and the law were actually getting them off focus and would actually lead them to reject Jesus. So today what we're going to do is we're going to learn four lessons from Stephen the martyr. And a martyr is somebody who is killed for their faith. So here's a little spoiler spoiler alert. Stephen gets killed, okay? If you didn't know, Stephen gets killed. So as a side note, most of us will not face death threats because of our faith. But the lessons that we're going to learn from Stephen's life and death will help us actually navigate anything that comes our way. So here's what Stephen does. He points out in these 50 verses, and don't worry, I'm not going to read 50 verses to you. I'm going to give you a nice little outline here. Okay, so in verses two through eight, and you can go home and read this on your own time. In verses two through eight, he talks about Abraham. Stephen reminds them, Abraham who lived, lived in Mesopotamia, he worshiped other gods. He was called by God to be the man who fathered the chosen people, which all people on the earth would eventually be blessed by. There's no temple at this time. God called him out of a heathen land, but God directed and guided him, even though there was no temple. God had no temple to live in. So so Stephen's saying, well, Abraham, he experienced God. God worked with him. God called him. God directed him. Then we move to Joseph, actually the great-grandson of Abraham. He was in Egypt due to the fact that he had a bunch of good brothers. Remember Joseph's brothers? Okay, they sold Joseph into slavery. And he wound up in Egypt. He went up the ranks in Egypt. God had his hand on him in Egypt. And most of you realize that God actually used Joseph to save the people, the Israelites, from famine. So God had his hand on Joseph even though he was in a foreign land in Egypt and he was not by the temple or no temple was at that time. Verses 17 through 43, Moses, he talks about Moses. Now, Stephen dedicates most of his defense to Moses. And the reason why is that when he was brought before the council, the accuser said this, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and will change the customs that Moses delivered. So essentially, Stephen's saying, no, 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 I know about Moses, guys. I know all about Moses. In fact, Moses is proof that God is not contained in the temple because God protect Moses from the day he was born, from being killed in Egypt at his birth. God used Moses in Egypt. God spoke to Moses through the burning bush. God uses Moses to lead the Israelites in the wilderness. It was actually the Israelites that rejected Moses, not Stephen. It was actually the Israelites that rejected Moses because when Moses was up on the mountain, and they, they called on his brother Aaron, and they said, Aaron, we have no God to worship. So Aaron's like, okay, give us your gold, and I'll melt it down. And I'll make a calf. There's a good God for you. So they were all bowing down to a, a golden calf. Hey, it was actually the Israelites who were rejecting God and disrespecting the law of Moses. But then he moves to David in verses 44 through 50. David and Solomon... And Stephen reminds them, so it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob, but it was Solomon who actually built the temple. He makes it all the way to Solomon and the temple, but then here's what he does. He quotes Isaiah 66:1 one through two. Isaiah 66:1 one through two says this, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool, What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? So Stephen makes this whole case. God is not contained in a temple. He made the case that God is not located to a temple made by human hands by using the very scriptures that they were familiar with to prove to them that the God-man Jesus came and was among us and you rejected him in order to protect your temple, in order to protect your law. So here's what happens. God, which brings us really to the lessons from the martyr, which is this. We'll start off with the first lesson from a martyr, from Stephen the martyr. He knows the scriptures. Let me ask you a question. If you're going to die for something, do you want it to be worth it? Right? You don't want to die for a, a TV on Black Friday, right? Okay, you want it to be worth it. You want to, if, if, if you're going to die, if you're going to lay down your life, you want it to be worth it, you want it to be true, you want it to communicate something. If you're going to die for something, you want it to be worth it, you want it to be true, you want it to communicate something. Stephen obviously knew the scriptures, and through those scriptures, he knew the history of God's people. And as we'll see in a few minutes, he knew that the scriptures pointed directly to Jesus. Now, because he knew the scriptures, he knew he was standing up for a foundation. Like he was in the face of people, authorities that could and eventually did kill him. So he's standing there talking to them and he's like, hey, let me just weave all these scriptures together to you to prove to you that what I'm believing in here is not only true, but it's actually worth me standing up to you it's actually worth me standing up to you and it's actually worth me dying for well the question is how about you do you know the scriptures do you really know the scriptures when we know the scriptures when we know what the scriptures teach here's what happens we're not confused by what happens in our lives and we're not confused, we know how to respond when things happen in our lives. When you know the scriptures, you're not confused when things happen in your life and you know how to respond when things happen in your life. So basically the best way to know the scriptures because some of you are like, "Uh uh-oh, I don't really know much, okay? Well, here's the best way to know the scriptures and really the first step, have a plan. You need a plan. Learning the scriptures is a lifelong journey. Learning the scriptures, you're not just going to, okay, for this year, I'm going to read through the Bible, I'm going to know everything. Trust me on this one. You will have to spend your life learning about the scriptures. It's a life book. So I'll give you some suggestions, and I've talked about these things before. First suggestion is commitment to Sunday mornings. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here this morning. Commit to coming to church on Sunday and you will learn more about the scriptures. My commitment, you know this, my commitment to you is to actually teach you the scriptures. So commit to Sunday mornings, you're going to learn more. Daily devotions. If you're not in the word daily, you're missing the boat, okay? Because you can learn daily. And we have so many resources right at our fingertips, literally at our fingertips. The YouVersion Bible app, amazing Bible app. If you haven't downloaded that, you gotta download that. There are so many devotionals on there. There's scripture reading plans. It reads to you. It cannot get any easier, okay? <laughs> Literally cannot get any easier. <laughs> Daily Bread, we have the new Daily Breads out there. It's a little, you know, heartwarming story, right? With some scripture, it's a help, right? It's a springboard. Daily Bible readings, like Bible reading plans, I know January 1st is coming, right? Who's gonna do the Bible in a year, okay? And if you're like, I can't do the whole Bible in a year, do the New Testament in a year. Do the Old Testament in a year. Pick something. Have a plan. Bible studies. We have plenty of Bible studies at the church, all listed on the website. Uh, I I created this link on our website called Binge Watch. We've been videoing sermons since I think 2010, taught through multiple books on the Bible. If you're newer to the church, Go on that link. There's like the little like video you can click and it will start video one and it will just run right through the whole series. 17 sometimes videos, 20 sometimes videos. You can listen to the whole book of Romans. These are things to help you learn the scriptures. Resources link on our app and on our our website took the time to to put resources for you. Questions and answers, different types of things. So you can learn more about the scriptures. The, The point here is this you need a plan. You need a plan. Without a plan, what? People perish. You need a plan. Choose what works best for you and your schedule, but know that knowing the scriptures is going to give you guidance. You might be reading your daily devotion, something you're like, well, this doesn't really pertain to me today. But then next week, all of a sudden, you're like, oh yeah, I guess I needed that, okay? God was preparing me. I know what to do. And let me just tell you this. When something comes into your life that hits you at a left field, you don't want to be standing there with no glove, right? You don't want to be standing there not ready. You want to be like, okay, you know what? I didn't want to learn about that stuff when I was learning about it, but now I know, and here's the time to put it into practice. Psalm 119, verse... Uh, verse uh, 119, 160 says this, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Knowing God's word is truth, which brings us to the next lesson that we learn from the martyr. And that is this, boldness with the truth. Okay. There we go. Boldness with the truth. Now, this is so important. Now, I, I, I want to I show you exactly what Stephen did. Because so he, he tells them the scripture. He takes them a walk down memory lane, right? And then he just, you can tell by this, that he spent a lot of time with Peter. Remember how bold Peter was in all those sermons that we, that we studied in the first six chapters of Acts? So here's what happens next. He says, you stiff-necked people So we're going to break this down a little bit, but think about it. He's very bold with the truth. The truth is they have hard hearts and they're proud, stiff-necked people. The truth is they resist the work of the Holy Spirit. The truth is their father persecuted the prophets of God. The truth is they killed those that announced Jesus' coming. Remember John the Baptist? He was killed, right? He was an announcer of Jesus' coming. The truth is they betrayed and murdered Jesus. The truth is God delivered the truth to them, but they disobeyed it. You know, sometimes people have a hard time with the truth. And listen, I just want to warn you too, like we're going to Thanksgiving here. Don't be like, I'm going to be like Stephen at the Thanksgiving table. I'm going to tell my family what the truth is. (laughs) you got to be compassionate, right? This is a special time in the history of God's people and what happened here. But sometimes people have a hard time with the truth, don't they? They don't like it, right? They think the truth sometimes is mean. That's why many areas of life, you know, sometimes when we go to somebody with the truth, they're, they're upset with us, aren't they? Think about it this way. If you have kids, are you doing your kids any favor if you tell them they're doing a good job and they're not? Like, good job. Ugh. Like, You're not doing them any favors, right? If, are you doing your kids any favors if you don't correct them when they're going the wrong way? You're not. They may say, you are mean. Anyone get that from their kid? You're mean. Like, That's right, okay? Here's the thing. You might come off as mean because you're telling them the truth, But you know the truth, and you know that you're helping them with the truth. And guess what? If you don't help them now with the truth, and you send them out into the world, the world is going to eat them alive. Because they're going to tell them the truth about themselves, about the bad job they did, about the mistake they made, about the lack of correction they had. And guess what? The world, the people of the world, don't love them like you do. Right? So here's what the scriptures say. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Perfuse are the kisses of an enemy. You know, sometimes when we tell people the truth, it kind of hurts. And like I said, you want to do these things compassionately, lovingly, but sometimes the truth actually hurts. But guess what? When you have a wound, what normally happens to the wound? Heals up. And oftentimes the wound heals up to be stronger. Anybody who knows anything about weightlifting, right? What are you doing? You're tearing muscles, right? Right? So they grow to be stronger. You and I are in the lives of the people around us to actually help them with the truth. Sometimes you're going to tell them the truth and they'll think it's mean. It might stress the relationship a little bit. But the truth is they need to hear it from you who love them. And again, the caveat here is this. We need to be compassionate. We need to be loving. loving. An enemy lets people go the wrong way. And guess what? Proverbs tell us this. That wrong way will lead to destruction. The next lesson we learn from the martyr Stephen is he trusts God. Now check this out. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This scene displays Stephen's trust. Because in the face of adversity, Stephen looks, right, to his Savior. Now, we have the same privilege. It probably won't happen exactly like this, okay? If you're going through something difficult, you're probably not going to look up and see the heavens open up and Jesus stand there like, don't worry. Okay, that's probably not going to happen. But we have the same privilege in looking at the cross. Because guess what? The cross reminds us, how much Jesus loves us. The cross reminds us how much Jesus loves us. Look at Romans eight thirty two. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you know what this is telling us here? This is telling us that if you're a Christian, If you believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for your sins, that Jesus rose from the grave to prove that he is God, when you trust that, you believe that, you will have eternal life. You are a Christian. Because you trust that, you have living proof all the time that God is there for you. You can trust him. You can trust him. If you're ever wondering, whatever is happening in your life, is God there for me? Just look right there right? Look at the cross. Be reminded that he did not spare his own son. He gave him up for us. He's there for you no matter what comes your way. Nothing is too difficult. Nothing is a surprise. But now we have a bit of a surprising turn. You guys know the end of the story here, but, you know, some people might think this is kind of a surprise. Here's what happens to Stephen. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. What? I thought he trusted God. How could this happen to him? How could this happen to him? That's what people, that's the question, right? How could this happen to him? But why not ask this question? How could it not happen to him? He's in front of the authorities, the people who had his life in their hands. And he stepped to them. You guys are proud. You guys don't know the scriptures. You guys don't know the truth. Your forefathers, they were all corrupt too. How could this not happen? I mean, I would think if I was watching a movie, I'm like, this guy's dying, okay? (laughs) That's the way I would think. But some people say, how could this happen? Now, we or people that our believers ask this all the time. How could God allow this bad thing to happen? Have you ever asked that? Have you ever been asked that? How could God allow this bad thing to happen? But we have to realize this. Because sin is in the world, bad things will happen until God makes all things new. It's part of our existence. Okay? We are going to deal with this stuff until God makes all things new. Now, everyone trusts something or someone, don't they? You know, if, if you're not willing to trust God, who are you trusting? That's the question. Who are you trusting? If you're not willing to trust God, you might be trusting yourself. You might be trusting your own intellect. You, must be, you might be tr- trusting a false God. You're trusting in something. Now, when we trust in God... Really, the next logical step, though, is to actually start to see things the way God sees things. The next logical step is to see things the way God sees things. Check out how Stephen does it. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, those were some unexpected last words, huh? Hey, look, a bunch of guys killing me, throwing stones at my head. Lord, forgive them. Okay? How many of us would respond like that? Please don't hold this against them. Do you realize that when your heart is changed, you have the power to see people for how God sees them? You realize that? When your heart is changed by the Holy Spirit, you have the power to see people The way God sees them. And there's really kind of two ways that I want to deal with. People are either lost, they don't know God, or they're a Christian that's spiritually immature. They're either lost or they're a Christian that's spiritually immature. Obviously, the third option is, you know, pursuing maturity. Now, this is a great lesson in relationships, isn't it? In life, we're going to deal with unbelievers which are lost, We're going to deal with believers, fellow believers, that are going to be spiritually immature, and dealing with those unbelievers, we have to realize they are spiritually lost. They do not know the scriptures, so if you know the scriptures, your worldview will collide with their worldview, won't it? Thanksgiving dinner, right? Okay? You know, you have your unbelieving family members, you're a believer, they start to say stuff. You know, you're eating turkey and doing your thing, and they start to say stuff, and you're just like, oh, come on, I gotta say something here. I gotta correct this, right? But realize they don't believe the truth. So when you tell them the truth, you have to be compassionate with them, right? You have to be compassionate with them, loving with them, help them understand the truth about who God is, who they are in God's sight, who Jesus is, what he's done for them. They don't trust God, so they have a hard time when trouble comes their way, right? When things happen that they believe should not be happening, right? They believe these things should not be happening. They're going to be anxious about those things. They're going to feel alone, we can point them to the one that cares for them more than they care for themselves. They do not see things the way God sees things, so they struggle with things like forgiveness, with putting the needs of others before themselves. So we need to be examples of them, like Stephen is an example to us. You get that? So when you're dealing with the lost people, you're putting these things into practice. That means you're pursuing Maturity. But then we're going to deal with believers that are immature. You might know some, okay? You might be one, okay? Believers that are Im- immature. Let's get this straight. We all need to grow from where we are, okay? None of us have arrived. We all need to grow from where we are, but I believe what we learned from Stephen are some basic foundational principles that lead to spiritual maturity. You get that? These are foundational principles that's going to help you in your journey to maturity. But not all believers are focused on their spiritual maturity. right? And those of us who are focusing on growing in spiritual maturity have to deal with those that are not being spiritually immature or not focused on being spiritually mature. So in dealing with the spiritually immature, we have to realize eh, they don't, they probably don't know the scriptures. So we need to encourage them and inspire them to take some steps to learn and grow in the scriptures. Your job in their life is to actually be that person that's like, Hey man, like, you know, have have you, have you read this? Or I'm going to send you this, you know what I mean? Or check this out. Like it's just, encouraging and inspiring them. Listen, you know, when people say they don't have time, I don't have time to read the Bible. Really? You don't have time to read the Bible. Let me see your phone. I'm going to swipe this way and see where you spend all your time. I don't know if you know that trick. Some of you here, I know the kids know the trick, but if you're a little older, swipe right, and we will tell you your screen time. You're going to be like, what? Okay, so here's the thing. Where are you spending your time? Or if you're saying, I don't have the time, that's a problem because I know you do. We all have the same amount of time, don't we? In dealing with spiritually immature, we have to realize that they may not always agree with the truth. This is a tough one, right? When we're dealing with other Christians, they don't agree with the truth. I don't like that, okay? Well, you know what? Sometimes I don't like things either, but I have to agree with it because it's the truth. They may blame God or doubt God is is there. You know what I mean? They might say, I don't agree with God. Here's what you need to do. You need to pray that they would accept all the truths and follow the truths of what the scriptures teach. In dealing with spiritually immature, we have to realize they may not always trust God. They may think their own way of doing things is better or the world's way or the world's options has more wisdom. We need to encourage them and inspire them to trust God. That his words bring life. That his ways are more powerful and more wise than our ways could ever be. Don't trust your own ways and your own thinking, okay? Trust God's ways and what he tells us. You see, here's what happens. When we do these things, they'll start to see things the way God sees things. Now, some may say, well, look where this way of living got Stephen, okay? He got killed, And I say, yep, he did. But look at the privilege that Stephen had to be the first Christian martyr. And his life and death taught us these valuable things to know the scriptures, to be bold with the truth, to trust in God and to see things the way that God sees those things. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for Stephen. And the life that he lived and the death that he died can be a a constant reminder to us to focus our attention on you. Focus on learning your word, accepting the truth, knowing that your ways are higher than our ways. I pray, Lord, for anyone here who is lost, who doesn't know you as their savior, that they would trust you. I pray for anyone here that is struggling with spiritual maturity, not focused on that, that they would make some commitments to actually have a relationship that is growing with you. Not just a started relationship, but one that is growing. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for this church, for the fact that we can come together, meet the needs of one another, and help one another in our journey towards you. I'm just thankful for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.